0: Now, where we are is Jesus has just talked to the woman at the well, and she is so excited that she's running around telling everyone about who Jesus is. Just then his disciples came back, and they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, uh, what do you seek, or why are you talking to her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, "Rabbi, eat." But he said to them, "I have food to eat that you do not know about." So the disciples said to one another, you know, "Has he gone? Um, has, has anyone brought him something to eat?" And Jesus said to them, "My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already, the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into that labor. And many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told, And this is the testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. And let's, let's pray one more time and ask God to uh, reveal his word to us and teach us something this morning. Father, we, um, we thank you that you delight to, uh, to reveal yourself, that you're a God who communicates, you're a God who uh, delights to bring joy to your children in that revelation, and so Father, we uh, we thank you that you have instruction for us because you're a loving Father, and we're children who don't have it all together. We're broken and needy. Um, we don't think right, but Father, uh, we pray that you would be with us this morning. We pray to see Jesus and Him only. I pray that you would forgive the one who preaches for sins are many. We do pray to see Jesus and Him only. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So, so what we're going to talk about this morning is how to float your boat. I got, This is not a self-help, but um, Jesus is always a self-help, isn't he? Um, doesn't that sound like a self-help title? And some of you are old enough to know that term um, when someone says, what floats your boat? Some of the young people have probably never heard that term, what floats your boat. Um, but have you ever been asked that question? Or have you ever said that to someone, what floats your boat? Some of you have. Um, some of you run from people that ask that question because it's just so odd and outdated. It's like saying, whoa, Nelly, or something like that. I mean, who says that anymore? But um, to ask the question, "Who float? What, what floats your boat, is another way of saying what drives you, what motivates you, what makes you happy, what brings you contentment, what brings you joy, what satisfies you. And the question is, does, does money float your boat? Is it success that floats your boat? Is it your children and how well they perform and their success or their failure? Um, is it how you look? Is it the approval of others that, you're, that you clamor for and that floats your boat and makes you feel good? Your 401K? Uh, where you went to school? Where you go to church? Where you live? In you know, your resume? What clubs or affiliations you may be a part of? You know, we can look to these things and say, well, you know, what floats your boat? What gives you satisfaction, joy, and peace? Um, I, I especially like this phrase. Because I think it's a good diagnostic question. Because a lot of times we don't ask the questions. We don't, we don't think, you know what, when we put our feet on the floor, I'm living for, you know, I'm living for someone's approval today, or I'm, I'm living for success today, or I'm, I'm living today for people to tell me I look good, or that I speak well. You know, that's not what we, how we would actually phrase this, but this is what our heart longs for, many, many times. And I think it's a good diagnostic question to ask: What floats your boat? Because it helps us, I think, to identify those things in life that we're pursuing in order to find lasting joy and peace and satisfaction. And the reality is, is that we habitually turn to um, and pursue temporal things to find our lasting peace and joy. It's just the reality of who we are. And the Bible calls them idols. Don't be ashamed. And think it's outdated, you've got them, I've got them, you've got more than one, you've got a lot of them. And these are the things that we look to to find peace and satisfaction and joy. And we can say we trust Jesus and love Him, but we have, and He is our Savior, but we have functional saviors that we're resting upon and relying upon day by day. There are so many things. Um, but the problem is, the reality is that these temporal things uh, don't bring lasting joy and peace and satisfaction. It's like an economic term, the law of diminishing marginal returns. The more you pursue a thing, the less satisfaction you find. And and that's that's the reality. And so many times what we're doing is we're running around trying to find our satisfaction in so many other things. Um, if you think about it today, our houses are bigger than they were 20, 30, 40 years ago. Our cars are bigger. We're bigger. And we're less satisfied. Isn't that right? That's absolutely right. And And many times it seems like we're, our boat doesn't float. It seems like we've got all these things, and yet we don't have lasting peace or satisfaction and joy. It's kind of like, you know, that great sage and philosopher Jimmy Buffett, when he sang, he said, "I feel like I'm stranded on a sandbar. I feel like I'm st- stuck in my tracks like a streetcar." And so many times, we can, when we pursue these temporal pleasures that the Bible calls idols. Um, we wonder where the joy is, and it feels like we're, you know, we're on a, a sandbar waiting for the high tide to come in and to, uh, you know, so that we can move on. But it seems sometimes, doesn't it, like we're just kind of going through the motions, especially as Christians. Well, in our text, Jesus has just revealed himself to the Samaritan woman and at the well, and she has turned in faith, trusting Jesus as her Savior, and now she's running throughout the town. She is so excited and overjoyed that she is telling everyone about who Jesus is and what she has just discovered, Jesus as the Messiah, Jesus as the long-awaited Savior of the world. And the disciples, we want to draw a contrast here because the woman is, is so focused on Jesus and who he is and the disciples, by contrast, are not interested in anything spiritual, um, but they're interested in food. In, in physical appetite and I think John draws this distinction for us and I used to think when I first became a Christian that you know we were to look at the disciples as the antithesis of who we are but more and more as i have grown in, in in my faith I see that I'm just like the disciples and so are you the reality is they were focused on the physical temporal things this woman has just overjoyed and she's running through town And the disciples are still focused on on the physical satisfaction on food. They're talking about food. And Jesus takes this opportunity, as he always does, to take people deeper, to go beyond the surface issues, to take them deeper to the heart of the spiritual matters of, of, of really where he wants to drive all of us. And so they've just come back, the disciples, from getting food supplies, and they urge Jesus, saying, Rabbi, eat. And Jesus says, my food, the thing that floats my boat. In other words, he says, my food... The thing that floats my boat and brings me the greatest satisfaction is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. Now, as I tell my folks every Sunday, the Gospel of John is written for the purpose of showing that Jesus is the Messiah and that when we turn to Him continually in trust and faith, that He brings life. It's a really simple Gospel. Um, it's a lot of low-hanging fruit. I mean, it's really easy because they're, they're historical narratives and they're really easy to kind of understand if you look at them. But Jesus is the Messiah. If we trust him and continue and turn to him, then we can have life and we can have it abundantly. And so we've looked at that over and over, over again. And, and what I want to tell you this morning is what John wants us to see from this text is how we can have life, joy, and lasting satisfaction if we participate with God in what he's doing And that looks like sharing our faith with other people and telling them about Jesus. And I can see all your muscles tightening up. You're like, oh, gosh, i got to... Isn't that one of the most frightening things to think about having to tell someone to to share the gospel? Because we've got so many things, I think, in our minds about people that come to us. You know, I visited a church my grandmother attended in Mobile. Well, that Sunday afternoon, I thought they were Jehovah's Witnesses. They were Baptists. What's the difference? I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. Um... I became a Christian because my Baptist grandmother prayed for me. So if you're ex-Baptist, I'm not insulting you. I'm just, just, just telling you the Baptists came to my grandmother's house. And, you know, they wanted to share the gospel with me. And I told them, I said, I'm a Christian and, you know, I, I, I'm even a pastor. Well, they wanted all the more to make sure that I was a Christian. But um, doesn't that frighten you to think, well, I've got to share my faith? Or um, what do I say to people? But I will tell you that when you participate with what God is doing, turning... From the trust and accumulation, man, I'm telling you, I'm right there with you. I'm not pointing my finger at you, except I'm pointing my. I'm looking at myself too. Um, We don't have lasting peace. We don't have lasting satisfaction and joy when we're just pursuing our own goals and and our own desires. And what I want us to look at first this morning is we can have and we can experience abundant joy by participating with God in His work. We can have abundant and experience abundant joy by participating with God in His work. Uh, what we see here, again, is going back to the Samaritan woman. Um, she's experiencing this great joy. She's experiencing great excitement at hearing who Jesus is and that He has said that worship is through Him. It's not through any other way. That, that you know, She said, well, you know, my people tell me that we're supposed to worship here and then the Jews say, you worship here. But Jesus says, you know, I'm the object of worship and you come to me you will find lasting peace and satisfaction. You remember, she, uh, he was at the well, and she said, he said to her, give me a drink. And uh, she said, why are you asking me this? And then he said, well, if you knew who I was, you would ask me to give you something to drink, and it would be a drink that would satisfy you, and you'd never have to come to this well again. And so, this woman has heard this. She's come to faith in Christ. She's, she's seen now that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. She's been shown grace as well, because Jesus knows who she is. Knows what she's done. Remember, she had been with a number of men. She had a number of husbands. And the one that she's with now isn't her husband. And Jesus revealed that to her, which she, she knew. But then he, he, he gave her grace. And she tasted grace, not the law. But she, she saw the sin, but then she saw the grace and received pardon and forgiveness. This was unlike anything she had ever heard because the Pharisees, the religious teachers, never taught that. And she was ostracized and she was an outcast. So now she's got this abundant joy... It tasting grace for the first time. And she is so excited and she is running all throughout the town. You know, the guilt that she had experienced and the guilt that she felt was removed and she could now worship the Father in spirit and in truth through Jesus. And the completion of that joy is the speaking of Jesus to other people. That's what she's running around town. Listen to verses 28 through 30. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of town and were coming to Him. She drops her water jar. In the, in, the, uh, in the narratives in Scripture, everything is left in print for a purpose. It is descriptive and it's powerful. She dropped her water jar. She stopped what she was doing. She stopped in her tracks and she started running all throughout the town saying, This is the one. This is the one. This is the one that can satisfy you. This is the one who can bring you peace and bring you joy. And when you share the joy that you have, doesn't that make the joy complete? Um, whenever I buy Kelly a gift, my wife Kelly is sitting back here. Whenever I buy her a gift, I can't wait until the time that I'm supposed to give it to her. I have to give it to her right away. I remember the last time, well, I bought her some other things, but the only thing I can remember right now is I got her this Godiva chocolate from Barnes and & Noble. And it was 50% off, but I took the sticker off so she didn't know. Um, I preached this a couple weeks ago, so she heard it then. But, you know, I want her to think, you know, I spent... Wow, he spent $9 on me. No, um, but I had that gift. I put it in my armoire. I was going to give it to her. I think it was around her birthday. Well, I gave it to her that day. I was, just, I was on pins and needles. Just, you know, got, oh, I just want to give her this. Um, and, and think about, I don't know how many of you, when you were in grade school, they had show-and-tells. Did they have show-and-tell? Raise your hand. Did they have show-and-tell? I'm from Florida, so I guess we wasted our time with silly things. In Mississippi, they don't do show-and-tell. Um, what you did in elementary school is you got the thing that you loved the most or one of those things and you bring it to school and you are so excited and pull it out of your backpack or whatever and then you show it to your friends and you tell about it. And it made your joy complete because you you brought it to other people. Um, one of the guys that um, that worked with us at Lanyap, he was our construction foreman in we, we went to the Jimmy Buffett concert in Gulf Shores, which was a free concert. And then he, he went two weeks later in Virginia Beach. And he knows how much I love Jimmy Buffett. And so he called me from the concert to taunt me. He was in Virginia Beach. It was his last concert of the season, his tour. And uh, he, said, he said, guess where I am? I said, I know where you are. But he, wanted, he wasn't just taunting me. He wanted to make the joy complete. And this is what happens. this is We can experience great and abundant joy. We tell others... About the joy that we found in Jesus, the forgiveness, the pardon, the freedom from guilt that we find in christ um, it 's an amazing thing, but if we keep it to ourselves, I mean we share aren 't we excited to share other things we 're excited, excited to share when when uh, let 's say our, we get our, our spouses are pregnant and, and we want to tell everybody it makes the joy complete. The woman left her water jar and went and told the people, and she was so excited she stopped what she was doing. To tell other people. But again, by contrast, the disciples are doing nothing but talking about food. Um, and this is in verse 27 and then verses 31 through 32. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking to a woman, but no one said, What do you seek or why are you talking with her? And meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. I would say, I think some of the application for us today is if we've been in the church for a long time, we have forgotten what grace tastes like. We're like the disciples. We get focused on the physical things. You know, and and, and sometimes it's like I will will check the box and go to church and then I go home. And then I do my other things. Look, I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on you. I'm trying to remove a guilt trip. I'm trying to tell you where to find the water. I'm trying to tell you when high tide is going to come up and and float your boat and, and how you can experience great joy and lasting peace. And it's... It's by just telling other people. And it's a simple thing. That's the, that's the next thing I want to look at. That participation in telling other people and sharing our faith with other people, it's very, very simple. But I understand how frightening that sounds to you right now and how dismissive that can be. To think, well, that's, that's for professional people. That's for people who've been to seminary. That's for, you know, that's for the youth pastor. He's supposed to come with me. I, I can't tell you how many times when I have been in churches, and people said, Pastor, I need you to come with me to share the gospel with my next-door neighbor. They really need to hear it. And I thought, I've done a bad job because they're not equipped to do this themselves. But it really is very, very simple, and I want to look at three quick things, and then we're done. Uh, the first thing is that success is guaranteed in evangelism. Success is guaranteed Um, Jesus used the metaphor from agriculture. He said, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. The rain is not going to destroy the crops. The crops are ready to be picked. Success is guaranteed. Throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus is saying, and he'll say this in the next chapter, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And all we have to do is just tell people, just tell people a story. Um, and that success is guaranteed. You're not the one. i tell you what. It, it gives me great comfort knowing that, that Jesus is the one who draws people to himself. That he's the one who opens hearts. It takes the pressure off of everything. And you can rest and relax. And you, the thing is, is that you don't have to give everyone everything up front. You can pepper. You can kind of season your conversations um, with with scriptural truth and wisdom about who Jesus is and, and when somebody's when somebody's talking about the problems that they have in their marriage and in their home and throughout their life you know you can you don't have to come in and say well let me just tell you and just you know you don't have to quote word for word but you can come alongside you can listen and maybe that's not the time at that point to say something or maybe it is but i tell you what i found is if you pray for opportunities god always opens the doors there was one fellow who uh, who actually comes and worships at Lanyap now, and he became a Christian just this last year. But he had been with us for a couple of years. He had come to back to Lanyap to thank us or to find the college students. There were, um, University of Tennessee college students had come. There were 150 of them that were painting houses, and um, they had painted his house. And so he came to thank them. And he's talking in the parking lot to me about his life, and his wife had left him, and she had racked up credit card bills, and... The, from the casinos and all these other things. His house had been completely underwater in Bay St. Louis. It was near the beach. Um, and he didn't have a good relationship with his children. I mean, this is all of this stuff. And if you know, after the storm, a lot of people, all this stuff kind of came up and people just wanted to talk. Well, I was listening to him and then I was praying. I said, God, just give me the words to say. Well, I tell you what, he asked me point blank, how does God and how did Jesus fit into all this? And I said, I wanted to drop on the ground, and just this is amazing that never happens this, that's an easy, that's an easy door. Um, but I tell you what, he still had some really whacked out views, um, and he would come to Lanyap and he came to Lanyap for a couple of years. He would light novenas for different things i didn't correct him for that. He, um, you know he would he would talk about things at sea that he had done, and I tell you the, the stories about sailors are all true. Um, they're true about me, too. I mean, hey, they're true about us all. Um, but the reality is is that he came to faith in Christ, and I didn't have to, I didn't have to share the, the four spiritual laws or sit through a little pamphlet with him. But it was over time of having a relationship and, and just being a friend. And he, he, he wasn't a project, but he was a person. And um, success is guaranteed. That's what, that's what we believe from Scripture, that God is going to call all those who are his. Um, The second thing that I think makes evangelism and and participating with what God's doing in the world much easier is, is if you realize that you're not alone in this task. Listen to the text in verse 37. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. You're not the only one that's doing this and you may not be the only Christian that this person has ever run into. Um, Francis Schaefer, who's a great theologian um, and philosopher, he, uh, he used to call this uh, pre-evangelism. Pre-evangelism. Um, and and I, I experienced it in my own life. Maybe you did too before you came to faith in Christ. I became a Christian in a fraternity house at Florida State University um, because there was a guy who shared the gospel with me. But prior to that, I had been a lifeguard at a water park in Orlando, and I remember sitting at the end of the wave deck in the shallow end, um, talking to this one guy who said he was a Christian. I didn't know what a Christian was. I mean, I just knew I wasn't. Um, I thought I was a pretty good person. Um, But he would talk about Jesus, and one of the reasons I thought he was authentic was because he never ogled the girls like the rest of us, you know, And, and he was authentic. But what he did was, he just talked with us, and he didn't try to pressure us into anything. Um... And the reality is I realized then, now, that my grandmother had been praying for me. And I had encounters with other Christians as well. Um, realize that you're not alone. You're not the only one who God is going to use. If, so, if he's going to call someone to faith in Christ, you're, you're just one in a succession. And maybe your job is to, uh, is to plant seeds. Maybe your job is to, to harvest. And maybe somebody comes to faith in Christ, you know, by you speaking to them. I do not know. But um, you're not alone. And that takes the pressure off, too. You know, like Jesus said here, he said, you know, one sows, another reaps. I think, I think the damage that has been done to the evangelical church is that we always think that we're supposed to reap. We always think that, man, i got to get this person to bow their knee at this point right now. And that may be, you know, maybe that's what God has. But look, there's some that are supposed to sow and then some that are supposed to reap. It's a very simple thing. God guarantees the success of evangelism because he's the one that's going to do it. He just calls us to co-labor with him. Um, realize that you're not alone. And, and I'll tell you as a personal example, I, I spend a lot of time at coffee shops. Um, many of you who know me know that. At Barnes & Noble or at Starbucks. And when they built the Barnes & Noble over in Gulfport, back in, I think it was 98 or 99, you know, I was there every day. Well, I, got to, I became a regular, and there are regulars there, and I got to know a lot of people. And um, talk about sewing. There, there were two, um, this one gal, Val, a British lady, she used to teach aerobics around here, and um, I would talk to her and sometimes she would be caustic. She would ask me because she knew I was a, a pastor and she wanted to talk, but she also had some other ideas in her mind about you know, Buddhism, Islam, why is Christianity um, true and others aren't, so tell me. Well, over the years, she would call me too when her husband would beat her. Um, he would physically beat her and abuse her, um, and, and she had my number and we would talk through some of these things. And I just loved her, I spoke with her, I didn't judge her, but I just, I just loved on her. Well, I saw her a couple of months ago, she actually ran, she, I think she was going to knock me down, and, and she, she started crying. She said, uh, she says, I've become a Christian. This has probably been five or more years, and I don't see her all the time, but that, this time she came up crying. And she said, I never will forget, she says, I was trying to push your buttons um, when, you were, when you were talking with me. And she says, but I'll never forget the thing you said. You ask, I asked you, what's the difference between Buddha, uh, Muhammad, and Jesus? And I said, those others are in the grave. Jesus is resurrected. And she says, I never forgot that. I didn't put a pressure on her, but I spoke with her in love. There's sowing and there's reaping. That was sowing. Somebody else came along later. And, and I guarantee you that God put other people in her life throughout her life. Um, but... In my life, there was a guy that God used to, let's say, reap to where I became to faith in Christ, and it was in the Sigma Chi Fraternity House at Florida State. And this one guy, Kellett Thomas, he's a PCA pastor in Atlanta now, we were told as pledges you know, that we had to get signatures from all the brothers. But they told us in our pledge class, you don't have to get Kellett's signature. You have to get everybody's signature, but you don't worry about Kellett because he'll tell you about Jesus. You don't have to talk to him. They said that. Well, I mean, God invented humor, and he has the best sense of humor. So when I lived in the house as a pledge, I moved in. Guess who lived across the hall from me? Kellett. And I went into my room one night, and God had been doing this pre-evangelism in my life and um, stirring up a desire to know. And to Philosophy really helped me rather than hindered. Um, but I come to him, and I, I said, he was going to his room, I was going to mine. And he, I said, look, I hear you're a Christian. I'd like to talk to you sometime about that. He said, how about now? And we sat in his room and he did go through a gospel track. But that gospel track told me what I had no idea who God was, that God was holy, that Jesus uh, came to rescue me from sin, that I'm a sinner and deserving his judgment, uh, but that I can have forgiveness and pardon and new life through Jesus. I had never heard that before. I grew up in you know kind of a mainstream church. And um, it was an amazing thing. But see, he reaped at that point. There's sowing and there's reaping. Look, Participating with what God is doing and, and sharing the joy that we've experienced, it, um, it's, it's not a difficult thing. There's success that's guaranteed. Realize that you're not alone. And then finally, the third thing, and I think this blows everything up, tell your story. Listen to this in verse 29. This, is, this was the testimony that the Samaritan woman gave to the people in the village. She said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And then in verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony, which was, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. All you have to do is tell your story. Do you have a story to tell? I can't tell your story. If you don't know your story and can't tell your story, then, then you've got some other problems going on too. And, um, and we can talk about that later. There's medicine for that too. But um, you're supposed to laugh. Tell your story. Tell your story. Tell who God is, what he's done. It's very, very simple. You don't have to run over people with, with a uh, contrived formula. God has made you unique. He's given you a unique story to tell. And you can just, you know, this is, this is what I love about uh, my friend Steve Brown, who's a professor of mine, and he's, he's written a lot of books. And he's just, he's so funny. He's got, he, he says, uh, we're just beggars who have found bread, and we're telling others, other beggars where to find the bread. We're beggars who have found the bread, and we're telling other beggars where to find the bread. You don't have to know a lot. You know your story. You know who Jesus is, but I will tell you. I anticipated your fears of the thought of having to tell anyone. But I will tell you that if you just take a few steps, pray and ask God for the opportunity, you can experience abundant joy. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish what he's intended. I'm going to read to you a quote from my uh, my other friend, C.S. Lewis. He's he's kind of my mentor from afar. Um, everything, Mostly everything he writes is just profound. But Lewis said this, He, God, seems to do things, uh, He seems to do nothing of Himself which He can possibly delegate to His creatures. He commands us to do slowly and blunderingly what He would do perfectly and in the twinkling of an eye. Creation seems to be delegation through and through. I suppose this is because He is a giver. Delegation. Creation seems to be delegation through and through. I suppose this is because He's a giver. You're going to blunder, you're going to say the wrong things. You can't mess this up because God is going to draw people to himself but he uses idiots like you and me. He uses people who don't have it all together, whose lives are imperfect, who who are still struggling with sin to, to share the place. We're beggars who have found the bread and we're telling other beggars where to find it. That's the message. It's not that, look at me, my life is put together. You are not put together. Once you take the mask off and just talk to people, And share them. My favorite quote is from this guy, Anonymous, and I'd love to meet him. It's the only normal people are the ones you don't know well. The only normal people are the ones you don't know well. Open up. Talk to the people that are around you. You're sitting next to broken people. You look in a mirror, you're messed up. As and as Steve Brown says, you're cheer up, you're a lot worse than you think you are. But God uses messed up people for his purposes. And I think, you know, as C. S. Lewis says I suppose it's because he's a giver. I think it's also because, as Paul said, um, power comes in weakness. Power comes in weakness, and I will tell you what: change comes with trust, and change comes with trust. You're saying, you know, I'm still struggling with the same kind of things. I've got all these fears and anxieties, and my it does feel like my boat won't float. It's like I'm on a sandbar, stuck in my tracks like a streetcar. Well, I will tell you what: change comes through trust, and that means taking the steps and going out into those areas that feel uncomfortable. They are uncomfortable. But take the step and trust. God will change you and He'll bring you great and abundant joy just like the woman at the well. Um, God wants to wake us up. He wants to wake His church up. And he wants, he wants your joy more than you do. And if you believe that, believe that He uses this as that, as that means as well. Let's, let's pray. Father, we, we thank You. We're amazed that You use us We're amazed that that you rescued us, but we thank you that you have rescued us through Jesus and that you've given us a story to tell. Um, Father, let us never forget, never let us settle for thinking that we're put together. Um, Because everyone else is broken. But Father, if we can just tell other people where we've found a source of joy, just let it be natural and comfortable but give us opportunities I pray for everyone here Father that this church would be a beacon and a lighthouse on the coast a place where where people could gather uh, to find comfort and peace and joy Uh, make this place that place and we thank you that you have accomplished all these things through your son for it's in his name we pray Amen